Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Neil and Amy podcast. We, this season, are journeying through the topics around helping people find their way. And today we have a very special treat because uh, though we have Amy downstairs below us, not in in, uh, participation of today's episode, we have a great uh, male replacement by the name of Craig Johnson joining us today. So that's going to be pretty exciting. And as always, we've got Eric here with us as well. Hello. And today, this this episode is uh, gonna. It's a it's a special one for me. It's the first time I've been able to uh, have a conversation that is recorded with my dear friend, Dr. Craig Johnson. He is a pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship down in Agora Hills. Craig, that is right. It's Agora Hills, right? That's right. Agora Hills. Wonderful. And uh, Craig and I, over the last 15 years, I just got to give a little setup to this talk. He and I met about, I don't know, 13 to 15 years ago, I'm guessing. And he has been absolutely instrumental in uh, in me helping, you know, finding, finding the way. And he's been a voice uh, to Amy and I in times where life was dark he has also shown up in times where we didn't even know that we needed him, and he'd just drop a phone call, or he'd give us, you know, some kind of uh, array of hope. And um, we talk often about needing safe people in our lives, people that are uh, like what we would say, like a crew type member. And and um, Craig is not only somebody that I journey with as a friend, but he's certainly somebody who I journey with and consider him an excellent coach, mentor. Uh, pastor, whatever you want to call that. So uh, Craig is going to, yesterday we were having a conversation and it was, uh, as I was talking with him, we were talking about grief, talking about Amy and talking about some of what she was going through. And then I, I dawned on me, if people could just listen in to these talks that I'm having with this man, I think that it would just be such a great thing. So uh, for you, the listener, this particular episode is a special one, and uh, and we're going to be talking today about grief and loss, and this is on the heels. This is really what sparked this. Uh, if you've been following the last couple of weeks, you know that Amy has had a hysterectomy procedure, and with that, part of the journey for a woman is they they struggle. They have to, you know, learn to walk through some missing parts. And so Craig and I laugh a lot. That's a thing that we do. We make jokes about things that some might think are kind of sick jokes, twisted jokes, but, and you'll hear it. You'll hear his twisted laugh come out and you'll think, does this man really love God or has he got some other kind of thing going on? We're not so sure. Anyway, he's a special man. So uh, with that being said, I want to introduce you all to Dr. Craig Johnson. Hey, Neil. Wow. That was a great introduction. I was actually drifting off to sleep. Uh, <laughs> so boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a privilege to be here. Yeah, yesterday we were talking about the process of grief, which is, you know, it's interesting to me that um, Deuteronomy 6.23 says, she led us out in order to lead us in that all of life is leaving and entering, that process of leaving and entering. We leave the womb to enter into life. We leave childhood to enter into adulthood. We leave, you know, grade school to move into middle school. And we leave singlehood and then go into marriage. All of life is leaving and entering. It's the primary cycle of our life that nobody teaches us how to leave 
you know, which implies right. grieving a loss before we move into a new state of affairs. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the primary cycle of life. We're talking about Amy and, 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 and grief. And we have to grieve every loss we ever, uh, we ever, uh, experience. Yeah. It struck me when you were uh, talking be, mm-hmm. how you said, uh, you're, we're not taught how like that really caught me because I think we're taught to suck it up. We're taught to, you know, just yeah, act like over. nothing's wrong, get over it quick or whatever. And, and that's what you were saying yesterday about Amy. Like she's, she's literally had preciousness, um, you know, her ability to, you know, be identified female. And that was not new, you know, gender specific, uh, language that I'm throwing here, but she, she lost it. And if somebody were, if I were just to say, Hey, come on, let's go, like, get over it. Um, let's get on down the road that not only would that be insensitive, it'd be wrong, but that's often what we're learning. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're taught to gain things and hold on to them in our culture. We're not taught how to lose anything. I don't know if you remember as a child, the first loved one that died in your family or a pet that died or I mean the fur and, and grief isn't just tied to death. I mean, every time you, when you, but you grieve the loss of youth, the loss of opportunities, the loss of independence as you get older, the loss of functioning abilities, the loss of a body part. I mean, whenever you lose something that you had a meaningful emotional connection to, you have to go through the natural process of grief. And we mentioned yesterday that kids are experts at teaching us if we watch. They're hurt, they cry hysterically, then they play. Hurt, they cry, they play. That's the process of grief right there. Right. And it's a process we have to enter into, and it doesn't just happen ipso facto. You know, I, I remember as a child losing just a toy my parents had taken from me. And, you know, we don't want to minimize the children's losses because in their little world, when you take something from them, when there's a divorce in the family and you lose your primary security in life, when the, of course, when a loved one dies, we'll deal with that in a second. That's the obvious severing of, a, of an intimate connection. But, but even the little th- things we would dismiss as insignificant have to be reckoned with. And so we sort of are walking around with stockpiled grief right. in our souls, like a million beach balls pushed under the water. Right. And we wonder why we have indigestion <laughs> and depression and suicidal thoughts. Yeah, and you're trying to hold one ball down. Meanwhile, the other one's popping up, and you're using your leg to try to press that one down. It's just a life of suppression that probably leads to depression and every other thing. Yep. So to me, what I hear you saying in that is that it's very important because you referred to yourself as a, as a, as a young boy losing your teddy bear and how devastating that was at that time. And that it yep. might sound silly to a grown up, but to a kid, it's everything. And so that, you know, learning how to process, you know, loss on, on a little level that to somebody might be a big level. You know, I, it seems like if we were to learn to process on, on the small losses of life, then maybe we could have a healthier process when it gets to the larger losses of life. Absolutely. Like when you say in, in dealing with our children, we would rather have them suffer a setback young in life, you know, when they're just beginning in business, than to lose a $30 million company. 
Right. Well, we have to learn to process little things, taking baby steps. And so grief really is uh, anything we lose that we have a meaningful connection to. That could be a person, a place, a thing, uh, a condition. Um, then we start realizing, my goodness, you know, well, and then we go in, then the people say, suck it up. Oh, come on. You're getting too emotional. Oh, heaven's sakes. You know, move on. Well, I like the Apostle Paul. He moved on from things he'd resolved and reconciled himself to. Paul the Apostle said, this one thing I do, I move on. Yeah, he moves on after he processed the things behind him. We don't, we, we're always leaving an entry. That means we're always in the process of grieving where we've come from in order to enter into a new state of affairs. So grieving is a process. It's a sort of that we can learn some techniques right. that can help us. It doesn't need to be the loss of a parent. You know, if we live long enough, we are all going to experience you know, uh, cataclysmic losses. But I think we can learn the principles, some, some helpful principles of grief Absolutely. that will deal with small, medium, or large yeah. opportunities. That's solid. And I, I want to hopefully by the end of our talk today, if we can kind of arrive at some of the tactical or principle based thoughts on how to deal with those things. I, but I also, I want to kind of just continue to kind of lay that foundation or that groundwork for what people struggle with and kind of that I, identifying that, man, these struggles are real. These struggles keep us stuck. Uh, they make us feel small. They make us feel insignificant. They make us feel like we're never going to make it, never going to win, never going to overcome, you know, all of that. It, as a principal, and, and Craig, I, I don't know how much I've shared this particular mission. I know we, we've had lots of conversations, but for the listener, we're constantly saying that our objective, Amy and I's objective, is to help people find their calling or find their mission in life and make their life count because life's too short, right, to live miserable. <laughs> and and grief and misery often are like closely connected. You know, it's um, when we don't know how to grieve, then we stay stuck in, in misery, stay stuck in turmoil, stay stuck in the past. And ultimately what that does then is it keeps us from arriving or it keeps us from maturing or it keeps us from entering into that next level or that next phase. Um, so, I don't know, like what, maybe sometimes what, what thoughts or times in your life, you know, did you feel stuck or did you feel like, man, I had to grieve the loss of this before I could enter into that kind of a thing? Anything come to mind? Well, you know, there's a, there's, yeah, there's an, there's an interesting phrase, uh, only grief permits newness, that we have to significantly grieve what we lose so that there's an open door of nearness before us. And one of the things that was helpful to me is a lady named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. In 1969, she wrote a book called On Death and Dying. And she laid out five steps that we all go through in, in, in the process of grief. Now, she's talking specifically about death, about a loved one dying or you getting a death sentence, that you're going to die. But the five principles are so important that they're, they're built into a little pneumatic device. If, people, if, if the folk could get their little pen and paper out right now mm -hmm. and write this out. It's called DABDA, D-A-B-D-A, -D -A, DABDA. 
D-A-B-D-A. Just write that on a piece of paper, and then I'm going to give you each one. D is denial. Denial. The A of DABDA is anger. So down the list, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. DABDA. Now, this is amazing. When you come with this to your memory and you get comfortable with this, this is a pneumatic device that can help you in every instance of grief. And, and we'll, we'll go through them. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And Dr. Ross uh, discovered that these five stages are always involved with grief. They may be out of order, in a different order, but you always go through these five. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And this is the example I use. Let's say uh, you, you, you run out to your car in the morning and, and, and if you're late one more time at work, you're going to be fired. And you get in the car and the car doesn't work. You let the lights on all night. And so the first stage is denial. Oh, my God, I can't believe this car is not going to work. No, 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 please. You can't. This cannot be happening to me. Right. If I'm late one more day, I'm going to lose my job. Then denial leads to anger, which is, you stupid car. I shouldn't have bought this thing. It's a piece of trash. When I bought it, I was told not to buy it. Uh, going to anger. Let me go with the bargaining. Please, car. Please start. <laughs> please, just start one more time, and I promise I'll oil you every 3,000 miles, and then we go into depression. Oh, no. The battery is dead. I left the light on. And then you go to acceptance. It's like, okay, well, oh, well, there are bigger problems in life. I'm probably going to lose the job, but maybe I'm going to call AAA now. So, you see, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. These are the five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I actually, I memorized these five and I apply these in my life whenever I've gone through loss, whether it's small, medium size, or large. First is denial. I can't believe this is happening. And Elizabeth Cooper Ross pointed out, you know, when you get a doctor's death sentence, whether it's you're going to physically die or we're going to remove uh, an organ from your body. Whenever you're you're threatened with imminent loss, first there's denial. Because oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. This is a movie. Everything's in slow motion. It's surreal. Then you go to anger. Why is this happening to me? Mm -hmm. It's the why God. I can't moment. believe it. And then you bargain. <laughs> oh God, please, please get me out of this, and I'll never ask you again until next time. <laughs> and then depression. Oh my God, I'm going to die. And then acceptance. Like okay, well, heaven isn't that bad. And then, blah, blah, blah. so so we go through these five things. Um, whether we number them or not as a pneumatic device. Right. These are the five stages of grief. Yeah. And each one of them, as you look at those, it's like, man, some people get stuck in denial, stuck in anger, <laughs> stuck in depression. Yeah. And it's like, I guess where, where you're going with this, and it applies so aptly that if we don't figure out how to grieve well, we get stuck in something that happened 10 years ago. Oh no, my mom took my teddy bear and I still hate her to this day. You know, whatever that may be. I wasn't trying to dog you on your teddy bear story either. I always like to say, Neil, there's no mystery to our history. <laughs> okay. There isn't. That's good. You know, we always want it to be mysterious. Oh, I can't understand. I call it sowing and weeping. I mean, most everything we're reaping in our lives uh, uh, involves seed we've been sowing for an extended period of time. Mm. I mean, we abuse our bodies and, and, and destroy them, and then we wonder why we're having symptoms. Right. And this is a really important thing. I mean, I always like to distinguish between fruits and roots with issues in my own life and in other people's lives. Fruits, um, if you lay an ax to the root of a tree, the fruit of the tree will die. The fruit is not really 
that's symptomatic. And we, we, we uh, Christians often are just crazy about being fruit inspectors and just looking at the fruit. Well, if you deal with the root, that deals automatically with the fruit. Mm-hmm. So if you get stuck in any of these, you know, we know people that are stuck in the denial phase. You know, they haven't even accepted they've been born yet when they're 45. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're in denial. Or, or anger. About they're me, frozen in anger. <laughs> making this too personal, Word man. of knowledge. <laughs> Come on, brother. It's getting good now. Yeah. Or people that get stuck in anger, and we know that. It's like they're always angry, but they don't know anything that they're angry. They really don't understand anger. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not to be... Um, um, not to be filled with too many pneumatic devices, but <laughs> if, if everybody has their little pen there, yeah, here's a good one too. It's called Ahen, A-H-E-N, Ahen. And that is anger, hurt, expectation, need. Anger, hurt, expectation, need. Anger is never the root. It's always a fruit. You always, when you're angry, you have to look under anger and there's always a hurt. And then under the hurt, there was an expectation you wanted to be met. And under that is a need. So I needed you to listen to me and not make it about you. I expected you to listen to me, but you didn't. Now I'm hurt. Now I'm angry. Anger is always, it's always a fruit, never a root. So it's like when I'm angry, I go, Craig, are you, what are you hurt about? Well, you're hurt because they didn't value you and you expected them to value you and you had a need to be valued. So I, in my head, go, okay, what was my need? I always trace. <laughs> I'll be, okay, I needed to be heard in this conversation. Neil would not shut up and he would not listen to me. My expectation is frustrated. Now I'm hurt. Now I'm angry. Yeah. And they're, 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 but that's just anger. If you get frozen in anger, that second stage of grief, um, you don't advance. You go in circularity. Right. And we always say in therapeutic circles, recover or repeat. Mm-hmm. So when you find yourself locked in one of these five stages of grief, um, it's important to, to get unstuck. Yeah. But you have to know what you're, where you're stuck, yeah. where you can get unstuck. Yeah, you have to identify it, which is why you're throwing the, the tool of like get to the root, change the fruit. Which, by the way, that... Uh, Craig's already read and critiqued the Wayfinder book and, and, and I'm finishing up some of the polishing through some of those critiques that were brought because I absolutely value this man's thoughts and opinions. And one of the things that I talk about in there is root and fruit. And, and Craig is the person that I actually heard that concept first from way back in the day. And that has absolutely impacted so much of my life because as you know, Craig, and as you know, Eric, and if Amy were on here, she would surely attest, Neil has a lot of fruit issues, which means Neil has a lot of root issues. And all of us, I think if we're being honest, we could openly admit that. But here is me openly admitting something again, Craig. Are you ready for this? I'm pretty sure that the listeners are going to petition the Neil and Amy uh, website, and they're going to ask this website to no longer be called neilandamy.com. I think they're going to want it to be craigandamy.com. 
<laughs> well, brother, God has his way in the whirlwind. <laughs> Back in the day, you remember when you always used to say to me, you know what, that wife of yours, if we could just clone her, that would be real nice. That's right. <laughs> and release her into the church world. There would be a much better world. <laughs> I think there'd be a lot less church people is what would be happening. I think so. At least in the modern day existence. Expedited grieving. Expedited grieving would be happening east, west, north, and south. But, you know, brother, this stuff is, I mean, this is all of life is leaving and entering. All of life is this primary cycle of grieving uh, in order to face newness. I mean, I've been through that my entire life. I, I gave you that example. I remember my mom had read this National Enquirer article or something about take your kids, uh, teddy bear and blankie. That's they a very good source, you know. by the way. I get a lot of my marriage advice from <laughs> National Enquirer. <laughs> Most your sermons, I understand, yes. uh, also. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but but I, my mom read some article, you know, you know, just some harebrained concept to go take your kids' toys and you know make them depend on important things. And and they took it. It was too early, you know. I would have given the blankie up. I would have given the teddy bear up. But my my love tanks weren't filled. My minerals and vitamins on that were not. It wasn't the right time. And so they went and removed that from me. And I remember just the horrible feeling. I mean, it wasn't a, an animal dying or a parent dying, which I had actually fantasized about at that point. Uh, right. <laughs> they were that stupid to take <laughs> yeah. my toy. But, but, you know, to a child in a child's universe, yeah. that is just as much a Herculean loss yeah. as someone who loses their job, their identity, a body part. And, and yet it's like, where do you go with that grief? Yeah. You usually go to a parent that says, suck it up, shut up. Yep. Get over it. The kids in China are suffering more than you. Well, their suffering doesn't really affect me, Mom. Thanks. Right. So we're usually quenched or shut down, let alone not taught steps towards grief. Absolutely. And that's why I got stuck in my life uh, because I'm so nice that I would always, you know, when I would go through a loss, I'd just sort of stuff the beach ball under the water and say, well, there are people suffering more than me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll be okay. And when you become a Christian, it's like, trust God. You know, we spiritualize it. Mm -hmm. And someone is expressing a horrible symptom or fruit of grief. And we say, well, well did you pray about it? Read the Bible more. You, well, if you don't teach people how to grieve, all the Bible reading in the world is not going to do anything. Right. It's making me and, think uh, of and maturity. all the church meetings. Right. <laughs> well, like, because to me, and again, like, I have a long way to go but I feel like the older that I'm getting, the more that I'm learning to live with losses and the more that I'm learning to accept those losses, consider them for what they are, and then move into that next season. And uh, it, it's reminding me of Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings, which I'm pretty sure, have you, I'm sure you've read that, Craig? Oh, yes. Dr. Henry Cloud is an angel. Yeah, it's in the concept of, of loss, like something is leaving my life, whatever that may be, from a teddy bear to a parent or whatever it is, if we don't learn how to end it, right? You, you've always said to me, if you don't end well, you're not going to enter well. Um, that was That's right. And I feel like the process of maturity as a human being, a lot of it has to do with with learning how to grieve and if we can learn how to handle loss i believe that in some ways that's kind of like the epitome epitome of maturity in some sense do you agree with that 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the maturity that you see when someone is able to process a loss, first, that means they understand, oh, all of life is leaving an entering. Mm-hmm. Only grief permits newness. So I'm going to have to relinquish old things to receive new things. So, okay, let me deal with this. And that denial kicks in. I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. I can't believe my spouse cheated on me. This is not even possible. This this happens to other people. Mm-hmm. I'm so angry. I don't know what to do. I'm going to lose my mind. Mm-hmm. In bargaining, I'll do anything to get them back. Yeah, we all sin. We're all sinners. That betrayal didn't mean that. You know, I betray people too. We bargain anything. Then we fall into depression mm-hmm. about it. Oh, my God. Now I'm betrayed. Now my life is over. And then eventually we move to some kind of acceptance that the situation can't be resolved. But it's a process. Grief isn't a, a place. It's a process. Mm. And I've had to grieve so many losses in my life. And I've had to learn because I, my, my parents, bless their hearts, were no roadmap, the mm. blueprint right. for grief. They didn't teach me how to grieve. They just sort of, you know, said, well, get over it. Yeah. They point to someone suffering worse than me losing my teddy bear. And that really doesn't mollify your grief at all. Right. Like someone saying, well, the guy across the street lost 20 kids. You only lost one. But you see, that isn't healing. In fact, I got a hold of a book. Um, it's in its 20th year uh, uh, edition now. It's called The Grief Recovery Handbook, mm-hmm. written by a guy named John James. Mm-hmm. And he is the founder of the Grief Recovery Institute. And it's a, it's a handbook that just changed my life. Awesome. Uh, because I, my father had just passed. And I was in the midst of dealing with grief, and nobody was helping me with it. And I got a hold of this in a secondhand bookstore, and it was so helpful. They show you what grief is, um, the 10 things you never say to a grieving person, which are the things those. we say to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we just make yeah, this whole podcast have... about grief for the next year. <laughs> that's the tattoo, Neil, we were talking about. You need to get that. Yeah, so, that's not sure. on the forehead, but <laughs> the 10 steps. Yeah. So <laughs> the, that book helped me because I didn't know that, you know, one, one analogy that really helped me was that we have three children inside of us. We have the needy child, the sobbing child, and the controlling child. And the controlling child just keeps a grip on the grieving child that just up, don't you grieve, don't you let one tear out, be quiet, suck it up. And and once we can break that controlling child, then the sobbing child can come out. And once the sobbing child comes out, then the needy child can be presented to the actual need mm-hmm. that needs to be confronted and, and met. And that's what people that's what therapists do in their gift and their anointing. They look inside of us and they go, okay. Here's your need. Here's where the original wounding happens. That's the needy part. And here's the sobbing associated with that. And here's the control. You're trying to shut the whole thing down. Right. So you break the grip of the controlling child. You let the sobbing child sob. And then you get to the point where, where, where the actual need can be, can be healed. Yeah. And so that image is always in my mind. And, yeah. you know, grief is a process. When my dad died, I did, initially I didn't feel anything. I had to do the service, and I had to like get it together. I had to drive a hundred miles, mm-hmm. and I had to just deal with the body. I had to walk in and see him laying in the bed, and it's cold and it's surreal. 
and I had to take his wedding ring off. They were waiting with the gurney for me to take the wedding ring off of his hand so they could remove his body. And I'm, you know, this was surreal and weird. And so, you know, initially we disassociate in the moment, you know, so we can survive. Right. And that's a form of denial. Yes. But then, you know, I thought, oh, I'm handling this pretty well. Oh, until I wasn't. Right. <laughs> then I did the song came on the radio over the next, you know, six, seven months. I'll be watching a movie. I'm flying. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I'm sobbing like a baby. Right. And, I'm, I'm you know, I hear uh, someone says something or I see someone that reminds me of my dad. And, and really, it was this process kicking in. But I learned enough at that point to let the tears flow, let yeah. the sobbing child. Yeah. Pour out all of that. And then it would be, then little pockets of grief were wept one bit at a time. And then it's a process. Right. You know, and you start at least not, you know, bottling it all up and denying it. Right. Right. You know, helping somebody move from one stage to the next, you know, kind of helping them process through what, what advice or thoughts do you have as the stages are taking place, you know, and, um, let, let me kind of preface this. Do you rem- remember a man by the name of Norman Wright by chance? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, so, H. Norman Wright, one of my favorite authors. Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, if it's the same Norman Wright, he, he talked a lot about grief as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And He has a book called Helping Those in Grief. Okay. One of the best books on grief. And I want to say if, if he's still alive, he's in his 90s. Um, about a decade ago, we had a sweep of... of horrible uh, youth uh, suicides that had taken place in our community. And uh, Mr. Wright came to town and met with us and spent some time. And he, um, he described grief as the internal core of like a softball. And if you were to tear that skin off the outside, unstitch it and look on the inside, it's just this corded, you know, bundle of string basically that's running every different direction. And one of the illustrations was that on one line of that string is sadness, on the next line is anger, and they're all just overlapping, crossing over in a tangled up mess. Um, so that that image is there when I think of grief, and oftentimes people don't know how to, you know, it's just one thing hits and the next thing hits, and it's kind of like you were describing when, you know, you had lost your dad and you're just watching a movie and bam, you're sad, or in the next moment you're laughing. But how do we understand and kind of move through that process of grief? Are there any like practical things that you learned or did uh, to, you know, in, in, through your grief process? Well, you know, uh, you mentioned Dr. Henry Cloud. Uh, I don't think there's a finer author or clinician in the world than the man. And his book, Necessary Endings, deals with what you just said. It's like, first of all, we need safety. We need safe people in our lives. You know, uh, when we're grieving, when we're hurt, we usually want to reach out to a temporary mood-altering experience. That You you know, we have legitimate needs that we sometimes want to meet in a legitimate way. That's why when, 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 we, when we drink, when we reach out for, for sex, or we reach out for food, or we reach out for anything that gives a temporary comfort in the moment, mm-hmm. but has life-damaging consequences ultimately, that's the whole cycle of addiction. Yes. But, you know, I view addiction as a hunger for heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't view addicts as sick, weird, nasty people. I, I, I view all addiction as a hunger for heaven. 
Explain. That we are all these wounded and hurting little ones that yep. God loves and adores. And his son gave his life for us. And he loves us so much that he's implanted in us these legitimate needs, but they can only be met in legitimate ways. And that, that involves reaching out to healthy, safe people. Yes. Because the bottle is predictable, but it isn't helpful. It's not a safe relationship. Right. People climb into a bottle or even, you know, whatever it is. Gallon of ice cream and a, got, they anything. broke up with me and now I'm you see it in the movies all yeah. the time. They sit there and they're eating their gallon of ice cream. And then two days later, there's five of them sitting around them and chips and That's right. all the That's sauce. Right. Yeah. But, but to understand that that is an attempt at self-comfort. Yes. That's what, that's what all illicit sexual relations are. Emotionally, uh, we're, we're grab, we're hungry. I always say never go shopping hungry. You know, when you, when you're, not, when you eat and a nice healthy meal, then you buy the sprouts and you buy the good stuff. When you go shopping hungry, you buy the Twinkies, the Ho-Hos and yeah. all the stuff you come home with and the licorice and everything else. And I found that whenever I am confronted with grieving, that I need to recognize it and I need to take that to the safe people in my life. Yes. And you know, again, Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend wrote a book called Finding Safe Relationships. That's yes. another book. Because what does safety look like? What do safe, safe people aren't perfect people, but they love you, they're trustworthy, and, and you can pour out the contents of your heart without fear yes. of annihilation yes. and judgment. And so find, having safe relationships is so important. So um, because that allows us, yeah, that allows us to be able to be fully naked and, and, and unashamed where you can be utterly who you are, where you are in the process of your life. And someone loves you and they draw a circle around your good parts and your bad parts. And they say, I love you. Yep. And I'm not, um, I, I always like to say to people at church that you can belong here before your behavior is perfect and your belief is perfect. Yeah. You, you have to have people where you can belong safely in the relationship right. before your behavior is perfect and your belief is perfect. Right. That's number one, I think, because if we don't have a safe place to run to, we say, I run to God. Well, of course you run to God, but we need love with skin on it. Right. You know, we need God. He's the one that points us to interpersonal relationship in, in the Bible. He built us where us and God aren't enough that we require for help interdependent relationships with others. So so pray that God would bring safety into your life. And you know, that's what sometimes if you don't have you say, Great, I don't have any safe people. Well, that's what therapists are for. You're paying them not to be your friend. Right. You're paying them to be safe for you. Yeah. So and so that's number one. Before you move on to number two and hold that thought because I know you're so e you can do that. We so last two weeks ago we talked about the importance of quiet time and reflection. Uh, last week, we talked about the importance of intentionally like stopping and checking in, what we call the checkpoints. This week, I was really going to focus on on that safe person thought and going to connect it to the thought of therapy. Yesterday, when I was talking with you on the phone, I'm like, oh, man, we're got to dive into grief. 
we got to do this. And I ultimately was hoping that we were going to be able to bring it back around to the safe people conversation. So it's almost like, it's almost like you hear um, like maybe words from God or something like that, that, that could have just happened. I'm just saying maybe not. I mean, it's happened once probably in your life. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the critical nature and what I was writing about in Wayfinder when Donnie, who was, you know, he, he attempted to hurt himself and the, the trigger was squeezed and the bullet was removed from the gun from his, his dad, he, he was alive and, and the click went off in his head. And, and the very first thing that Donnie thought is, I need to get my life right. I need to go see Neil. And I, I was for Donnie in that moment, that safe person that he reached out to that, you know, I'm, I'm no licensed uh, clinical therapist, but I, I think you hit it on the head by saying, you know, it is critical that we view those safe relationships as therapy sessions. And I know you know that, Craig, yeah. because every time I call you, therapy begins. It's kind of, and, and I've even told you in the past, like, <laughs> I want to be able to contribute to your life in some way, shape or form. Cause every time I do call, it's like, man, there, you become a safe place. You become a sounding board. I have, you know, really one or two other people that are coach mentors in my life that do that same kind of a thing. But I guarantee you this, when I'm stuck or I'm struggling or I'm trying to move to the next thing, like you or James or Bob, those are calls that I might make and say, Hey, this is kind of where I'm at right now. And then the therapy begins, the safety begins, and then I begin moving through that process of grief. And I, honestly, I can't, I don't think I would have made it without men like yourself in my life to help me move through. Well, you know, that's the whole process. We're supposed to, Jesus said, freely receive, freely give. We are, we're all leaving and entering. We're all leaving one state of affairs to enter into the next. We all need to grieve. So, so newness can, can emerge in our lives. Yeah. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. I always like to say that, you know, we're lighthouses. Lighthouses don't jump off their pedestals and go try to save ships. They just stand and let their light shine. The ships find the lighthouse. Mm. And God wants us to be lighthouses. You know, it's that old story of a little boy that's terrified upstairs. And he says, Mommy, Mommy, you know, I'm, I'm scared please come up here. And she goes, well, honey, Jesus is with you. And the boy says, yeah, Jesus is with me, but I need love with skin on it. Yeah. Um, that's what safety is, love with skin on it. Mm -hmm. And we need that in our lives in order to, to grieve. Um, Cause you know, when you look at these five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, wherever you are right now, if you have a safe person who's not judging you, loving you and being with you, you know, just being a presence in people's lives. We don't need to answer their Bible questions. We don't need to solve for X. We don't need to fix them. We don't need to give them sermons. We just need to be a presence mm -hmm. in someone's life. That's the right. Apostle Paul said, weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. That's a good scripture right there. Absolutely. We just need to be there. And when we're there, the, the beach balls sort of are free to come up. And we're free to grieve and wail and scream and cry and cuss and whatever we need to be or do to process these legitimate emotions. If somebody isn't going to judge us right. and isn't going to correct us, and they're just there. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. God shows up. When we love like God loves, God shows up mm -hmm. in a room. 
And that's why I didn't need another sermon. I can go online and get sermons. Right. I, 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 I need help. I need love. I need friendship. I need, you know, care. I need nurturing. Yes. And uh, there are times in my life, though, that I reached out for that, a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I, I trusted the wrong person. Right. That's something we all learn. Whoopsie, whoopsie doodle. Yeah. You know, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give what is holy to the dogs. And we've all done that. Yeah. We're in a desperate moment. We pour out whatever, all of our, the contents of our heart to the wrong man, woman, boy, or girl. Yeah. That is a, can be a, the most wounding experience of a lifetime. Yeah. So handling grief is really important to negotiate the ship through the coral reefs. Yeah. That we have safety we're pursuing in our lives so that when we grieve and it's inevitable, we're going to. We know the number to call. Yeah, absolutely. So you, I stopped you before you rolled the number two. Did I? Did you already hit it? Or, or are you? Um, or do you well, even need there, to hit you know, it? Well, no, there is the, the, the safety thing is the biggest thing because once you're on the safe island, that's where you can cry and you know, there was a therapist out here that I love, older gentleman, um, and he's not like your talk therapist and just bobs his head like a dog in the back of a 57 Chevy and then takes you $100 and sends <laughs> you out. He's an active therapist. He, he gets you in touch with the process of grief. Then he hands you a bataka. You're one of those little nerf batakas, like a bat. Okay. And then he puts you on the chair with whatever, you know, if you had an abusive parent or a terrible experience, he, he brings that up to you for you to, to whack that thing and, and, and go at it and destroy it. Yeah. And he was very sweet. He would say, okay, imagine this is a samurai sword. Now we're going to slice this experience to pieces, but no worries. Cause at the end, Jesus is going to resurrect them from the dead and everybody's <laughs> going to be fine. <laughs> and he was, he wasn't just a talk therapist because most people don't need that. That's so 80s. Yeah. We need to get this up. You know, when you have Montezuma's revenge, you need to vomit and poop until there's no more vomit <laughs> and there's no more poop. You know, we in, in Egypt, I used to take tours to Israel, Egypt, and Greece. In Egypt, it's not a question of if you get sick, it's when right. you get sick. <laughs> and in Egypt, you pray for Montezuma's revenge. To, to feel better. Yeah. Because what Get you get in Egypt is, the, you know, five days. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, it's a crass analogy, but it really sort of says it all. Yeah. When you have that much toxic poison inside you, I don't care how nice you are, that's got to come out. Yeah. And it's going to come out in a redemptive way <laughs> <laughs> or in a rude way. <laughs> that's what Jack Hayford would say. It can come out redemptively or toxically. But, um, <laughs> you know, when we were in Egypt, man, you were in the cabin for five days until you, you, you just couldn't throw up. You couldn't go to the bathroom anymore. And I think that's the way we get emotionally. Yeah. And if we have a safe place where we can process that and active therapeutic environments where you can take the bataka, it's not, allowing somebody to get stuck in their rage right. and hate because that's not right. really helpful yeah. but to get it up and out, whether you get in your car and go and scream and cuss around the block or whether you kick socks against the wall, there has to be some actual relief and release Yes. rather than just sitting in church as nice Christian people yeah. and hearing another 5,000 sermons for that month. That, that, that doesn't help me 
No. When I when I need the toilet, that, that another sermon doesn't help me. <laughs> Not when I need to get the junk out. So, question: <laughs> We so we have. I feel like I am sometimes surrounded by perpetual crybabies. I'm surrounded by people, and don't you know that might sound strong, and it was kind of meant to. I'm surrounded by people who, you know, go, you know. Um, I was hurt back in 1993 by this woman, and well, technically I was only a sixth grader, but she broke up with me. And then, you know, my life, it just carries on. And here I am, I'm 43, and I'm still impacted by what that young girl said to me. And it's like, get over it. Like there's a certain time and this is, you know, I don't, don't want to minimize. I feel like there's a dichotomy or a paradigm that we have to kind of deal with here, which is that one of, you know, Hey, be the safe person, be the listener, get it out. But for gosh sakes, once it's out, get off the toilet, like quit, like move on. Like you've got it. You can't keep one foot in the past and one foot, you know, in the future, you've got to either enter or go back, you know, one way or another. And the, the, as you've been talking, the passage from Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, the weeping may last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. And I think there are some people I talk to where they're like, well, that's just not true. Not true. The joy never comes. I never get the joy because I'm just stuck in weeping. And every single day, somebody hurts me. And every single day, you know, it's like this constant, this constant mentality of being stuck in the struggle. And, you know, for us, like if we're going to help people overcome, you know, that means that they've got to learn how to process grief. So what about those that just stay perpetually stuck in it and say, you know, the weeping, it just continues on. I've never had a good day in my life and I'm 80 years old. Like, what about that? How do we help people arrive at joy levels while, you know, processing ongoing grief? Well, I, I I usually say when most people ask for counsel, they're looking for an accomplice. Mm-hmm. Um, when most people, you know, say, "Hey, can I? You know, I need your help." Usually, if they want me to rubber stamp, they want to they want to vent. Yeah. And this is another concept. Dr. John Townsend discusses good time versus bad time. Mm. Um, good time versus bad time. When when you're growing as a person, let's say you go through five years, five years in your life goes by, and you're growing, and you're maturing, and you're learning, and you're becoming, um, that's good time. That's five years of development, yeah. growth, and maturity. But bad time is just when five years go by, and you haven't grown, you haven't matured, you haven't advanced, you haven't made an attempt. That's called bad time. You know, we all have that experience. You you see someone you haven't seen in 10 years. Right. And they're exactly stuck where they were 10 years ago. Right. The, the time has gone by, but it has not been redemptive to them. It's not involved their participation at all in their growth. Right. Now, I always say if you have eight ounces of water, don't water the brown spot <laughs> in the backyard. Those people I step over to get away from. Right. Those, those, I don't need to judge them, but they're not engaged in the moment. They're not wanting to learn. You give them the book title and never read a book. Yep. You, you point them to a 12 step group that would transform their lives in two weeks and they'll never go. Right. Because they just don't have time and no one could drive them. Yep. <laughs> um, folks like that are just sort of, uh, as Henry Cloud points out in Necessary Endings, those people you prune out of your life. They're, God is not calling you yeah. to them. Right. Because they're not interested in growing. So it's important, though, not to uh, allow time wasters like that. That's, 
that's what you weed out of your lawn. Okay. When you're going to use the water, you, you have to do pruning. Yep. And in your backyard, you get rid of all the weeds that are taking up the water and you water the rose plant that's growing. That, they, that deserves the water. So I have to know in my life who to invest me into. Yes. And uh, once I perceive someone stuck, not just for the moment, but they will not. It's not that they cannot, but they will not better themselves. Right. There's, there cannot and will not are two different things. Totally. And when I perceive this person's a will not, that just will not, I mean, they've gone through four different churches before they got to me. Mm-hmm. And they're telling the same stop story. And I always say recover or repeat. If people are, are, are not recovering, they're repeating the right. same behavior. Right. And time is not helping them. And uh, no one yet can help them because they don't want to participate in the process. Right. So it's good to really know, you know, because I used to, I was so nice. I would allow, you know, time wasters like that to uh, absorb most of my time as a pastor. Right. And that was a horrible mistake as a young man okay. that I made. So question. Uh, yeah. I mean, oh my God, I should have been pouring my life into those who were in good times, who were growing, who were open, who were learning, who, who were sinful, but they were falling forward. Yes. They were attempting to participate in grieving their losses. And that's where it in years yeah. to identify that one person and say, I'm going to pour myself into them. Right. So, and I love that because I do think that the many people that are listening to this are in that same, they're helpers and they need help. Just like I try to be like you try to be where we need help and we're, and we're helpers. But what about, what about for that person that in some sense you almost just described as a weed as somebody who is not wanting to move on yet they keep asking, you know, Hey, or they want to tell their story. Do you have any advice for somebody who's in that position to kind of motivate or get them to kind of snap out of that. Yeah, I have nothing, have nothing to do with them. (laughs) (laughs) It was called the boundaries. You have to draw boundaries. I mean, if someone's not going to get better, I don't know what I can, if God can't help them himself. Yeah. I don't know what I can do. Yep. Now I used to think I was nicer than Jesus. I wanted to get a shirt that said, come to me. I'm nicer than Jesus. Because I was going to help everybody, and I knew I could love them, and whoever they've been through, they could come to me, and I'll stride along with them. And then, boy, that was a hubris. Yeah, that was arrogant. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, well, I think what I was meaning is, do you have advice for the person that actually is just stuck in perpetual grief and not wanting to change? Like, is there anything well, you for have that? to? You have to. Well, in in. In John chapter 5, our Lord Jesus, you know, he goes to the pool of Bethesda, which was this big hospital with hundreds of people there. And he walks up to a guy that's been crippled 38 years, and he says, wilt thou be made whole? That sounds like a stupid question to ask a man who's been crippled for 38 years. Right. But it's not a stupid question, because if you get healed, you have to give up your handicap sticker. Ooh. <laughs> but I still want to park you up front, healed, Craig. You can't. There you go. I know you want that good mall parking, but if you if you get healed, you can't hang around in the bar yeah. with the bar flies. Yeah. If you get healed, there. so this question about, well, of course I want to give you. No, you have to answer that question yourself. Do Wilt thou be made whole? Yeah. And so, you know, people need to realize, do, do I want to complain or do I want to advance? Right. And that's, again, that's something that everyone uh, chooses, but, but we can't 
waste our lives and all of our time striving along with people that won't even give God a chance to come into their life and help them. Yes. Yeah. That's where we have to graciously you know, be nice, but that, you know, cross, you know, cross them out of your book in terms of your spending your valuable lifetime yeah. with people who won't change. It's amazing when you draw boundaries with people and sort of walk away from them. That's when they usually get the idea to change. It's usually desperation. Right. right. That will, it's pain or pleasure that'll motivate you yeah. to get better. And if someone isn't at that pain or pleasure point where they're going to, I, I, I can't help them with that. I'll pray for you from, from a, a great distance away. Yeah, a great <laughs> distance away. <laughs> well, you know, I heard it, I heard it not, not to just throw all kinds of pneumatic devices out, but, but these things help me. Yes. Categories help me. Now, there are three kinds of people in your life. There, there, there are wise people. There are foolish people, and then there are evil people. Mm-hmm. And wise people are, are people that when truth comes to them or reality comes to them, they adapt to it, and they align themselves with truth. Right. That's a, well, that's a wise person. Yes. Reality dawns on you, whoops, ooh, oh boy, I can do that better. Boy, I'm gonna, I think reality wins. I always say reality is what happens when you're wrong. Reality is what intrudes itself in your life when you're wrong. Mm. Well, I thought I had gas in my car. Well, you're wrong. You know, reality is brutal. Right. And reality always wins. So wise people accept truth and reality and they embrace it and they grow. A fool, it's not pejorative. It doesn't mean someone's stupid. A fool is someone who, when reality comes to them, they try to deflect it, dismiss it, alter it, or change it. Mm-hmm. And we don't, you could have a PhD in psychology and be the biggest fool in the room because when truth or light comes to you, you deflect it, you dismiss it, you try to change it and alter it. And we all know people, and we've all, in a sense, been wise and foolish in our lives. Correct. There are times when we accept truth in life and adapt to it, that's been more wise. But if we reject truth and try to control it, we're stupid, we're fools at that point. Right. And then evil people are just people that you call the police and deal with lawyers, and they're just yep. they're just wicked. They're just they're 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 a thorn in your life, and they're going to destroy you. And you just literally you have nothing to do. Yep. There's certain people that Paul the apostle said after one admonition have nothing to do with them. But you know most people just are, are are just sort of in the process between wisdom and foolishness. Right. And so it's really good to know when we're being wise and accepting reality and growing. Or right. we're being foolish or resisting reality and not growing. Right. And so, but also there are, there is a category of people that are just time wasters in perpetuity and, and God has someone to reach them whenever they're ready. But you know, it's like AA says, when you're ready, we're here. Right. You know, they don't ask for money. They don't go out proselytizing. AA doesn't evangelize. They don't go out to the mall with a bullhorn and tell everybody that, you know, who they are. And they, they know that when you're ready, and you want to grow, and you want to change, and you're over the arguments, and you're you're done playing. Here's a place where you can go that's safe for you. Yeah. And they don't even seek people, and that that's what the greatest thing I've learned over these years in ministry is I just simply be the man I'm supposed to be, and by gosh, the Lord brings people to me. Yes. At the right time, who are hungry, thirsty, ready. They want wisdom. They want teaching. But I, I used to waste my time. 
right. on most folk that just were not were not ready. Absolutely, yeah, and, and I mean, so so, and it ends up being fruitless. It ends up it, your marriage can fade out because you're putting priority in the wrong places. And I, I think you hit it on the head by ultimately saying that grief and walking the process of grief, there's got to be a hunger for growth that's kind of, or or a desire to move through it. Otherwise, you can stay stuck in it. And And I personally feel like when I choose in the simplest of ways each and every day to to trust God in the middle of very difficult circumstances, then I can say that that passage is true that, yeah, weeping, yeah, it's, it's, it may last for the night, but joy does come in the morning. But then weeping happens again because, because night does happen again, but then joy happens again. And, and that joy and, and that idea of I'm growing, I'm moving forward, it's enough to kind of keep, it's enough to keep me hungry for more. That's for sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It, to to well, you enter... know one of the one of the components to grief are tears. You just mentioned keep mentioning tears. Well, tears are a language God understands. Mm-hmm. Uh, tears are the diamonds of the soul. Yeah. And tears, they literally have different chemical components. When you you can look it up on Google, when you see tears of grief and sorrow, they have one set of chemical components. When you have tears of joy and delight they have a different set of chemical components. Wow. And I believe for some of our listeners, the Lord is changing the nature of your tears. Mm. You know, he, he's, he's changing the, the, the tears from grief, from devastation, tears as a result of extraordinary loss into the other kind, which are joy comes in the morning. Yeah. Psalm 126 says, when the Lord turned our captivity, then we were as then the dreams. And those that go forth bearing the precious seed of tears will no doubt return, carrying their sheaves of blessing with them. They're, they're, I think the Lord's changing the nature of the tears of some of his people. Yeah. Where it's just not endless tears of grief and, 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 and loss. And, but, but moving those tears. Now, from a distance, they look the same. Your face is wet. People don't know when they see you crying at a distance if it's from joy or abject loss. But, you know, those are just what a language God understands. So we have to become safe people who understand the language of tears. Yes. Where people are comfortable. The Bible says that God catches all of our tears in a jar. That every tear we've ever wept over, every issue, he's kept each individual tear and he's placed them in his book. Right. That he, he collects our grief. He values our grief. And he, he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to an agonizing, grievous death of abject suffering beyond what any of us have physically endured because he wanted to enter in with us into our losses. Right. So when you go to Jesus, it isn't like some, you know, go to Jesus. Thing. He is the suffering servant. He empathizes. He weeps with you. He holds you in his arms as you weep. These things matter to him. These tears are valuable to him. Right. And that's a Lord I can go to. Yeah. You know, with my kids, I, I decided early, when they sin, I want them to run to me, not from me. That's good. That's good. I, 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 want, I want, no matter what they've done, I want to be the first person that they're thinking to run to. I've got to go to dad. That's safe. And boy, that's, that's love. something for all of us parents yeah. to yeah. realize. 
Man, they don't need beautiful. a peer. They need a parent, but they need a parent that's safe enough and relatable enough and lovable enough that they could go to you and, and pour out the, the most intimate issues mm. of, of their brokenness. Yeah. And, and, and be able to belong, whether their behavior is perfect or their belief is perfect. Yeah. They need to belong. I know that's a high standard, but, um, that was my choice early on. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I saw Pat, the worst kids in the world were pastor's children. Right. And they were the most wounded, my God, PKs, yep. pastor's kids. Yeah. And so I just thought, my God, I, I don't want to drive them away. I don't want to create an environment where they've got to run away from me to find God. Right. You know, that, you know, if you're honest and transparent enough and real enough and, um, People will perceive you as safe. Yeah. Well, brother, I can tell you that you have, I know, um, helped a lot of people today that are listening to this. And I just want to thank you so, so much. I mean, our conversations, uh, what the purpose was is, hey, let's give people kind of a glimpse into, into some of our talks. And I hope maybe in the future you'd be happy to do this again. And, and if you're not, you might just be on a conversation with me and you could be recorded and not even know it. <laughs> I know that's not legal, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, thank and, you. And uh, I just thank God for our listeners. And I just want to encourage them that there's a way out. The way out is the way through. Mm. You're, it's going to get better. It's going to be Okay. Sometimes you just need to hear it's going to be okay. Yeah. That uh, maybe baby steps, baby steps are powerful. Mm-hmm. Just do the next right thing. You know, when you can't do everything, do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And God will just give you a next enough light to see the next right step you take. Yeah. So be of good courage. Yeah, that's beautiful. Eric, I think you might have almost jumped in on something. Yeah, I, I almost interrupted by accident. Uh, Craig, is there a place that our listeners can find you if they want more Craig Johnson, a website or a book or anything? Wow. Well, yeah, they could go to our website, drcraigjohnson.org. Wonderful. And we have, I would say, eight or 900 messages uh, there, all free and available on every conceivable topic, including grief, including what we discussed today and uh there's just a sort of a potpourri and a mixed bag of all kinds of messages yeah you know that i'll tell you this on my phone i have about five different podcasts and um craig's has been something that i've turned to if i'm personally looking for bible teaching that is is clear that's deep and yet it's still at the same point understandable and digestible that that is exactly where i go so I'm glad you said that, Eric, because I, I definitely wanted people to know to go to drcraigjohnson.org to be able to listen to that. Um, he, I mean, there's only a few voices, honestly, in the Christian community that I'm honestly, truly in, in, uh, inspired by these days, and, and he is certainly one of those. I feel like a lot of other um, church ministries, there's a lot of there's a lot of rah-rah going on, and trust me, I'm a rally guy. I love to rally. Um, but but there's there's a depth that you find when listening to Craig, and I know you just experienced that, so definitely want to encourage you to do that. Craig, I got to tell you, man, we Thank love you, you so bro. much. Can you make fun of Amy Thank for just you. a minute? I, I feel like it's important to tease about Amy um, oh, in some way. Oh, man. She, no, I can't make fun of her. Uh, she is one of God's pearls. All you can do is just <laughs> adore her. That's it. Yep, that is I it. I just thank God for that woman. 
Yeah. I just thank God. And, and again, the cloning cloning is still on the table. <laughs> well, I don't know if the I, seriously if the world I if the world can handle two of her. I don't know if you could actually like. I'm, I'm not sure, my friend. <laughs> Are, Aren't clones like copying an old VHS tape where each successive copy gets lower quality though? Oh. Oh no, 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 no. You have to get my twelve tape series on cloning women and you'll understand. Oh <laughs> uh, well we love you, my friend. Thank you so much for being with us and we'll talk soon. Thank you. My Thank pleasure. you, Craig. So Eric. Yes. That, give me uh just improv thoughts on grief as we just talked with uh to you know talked with craig like what what connected did anything connect with you specifically out of that yeah absolutely i mean i'm i'm going through grief right now for my dog ghost that died well he died but it was like weird circumstances but anyway it was was only a few months ago so i'm just going through all those steps yeah yeah i mean uh the handles of um, some of the acronyms that he dropped to um, very helpful. In fact, the DABDA, uh, Denial, Anger, Bargaining, Depression, and Acceptance, I know he told me that one years ago, but you know, as Amy and I are journeying through this process right now of transition, you know, she's, she's transitioning, and, and I can see in those stages because we're, you know, we're close, we're walking through some of those together. So, um, yeah, and I, I was thinking that, honestly, that the loss, you know, of of Ghost, like how impactful that was. And, you know, and then uh, to be able to have handles. There, there are people that are listening. Um, I have family members that just moved, and there's grief that comes with moving, you know, from one city to the next. Um, man, there's just the entering, um, entering and leaving, entering and leaving. I'm, I'm going to take that away for sure. Um, so... Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. We would love it if you shared it. Um, Eric, how could they do that or what you know direction do you have for that? Oh, you can share it on social media. You can uh, like us on uh, Facebook. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can um, rate our, con- our uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, and you can send your stories to info at neilandamy.com. Awesome. And if anybody kicks a story uh, concerning grief or overcoming or anything that resonated from this to that email address, we will send the first person a free gift of a traction planner uh, just for uh, participating in that. And you can find traction planners as well. They're at a discounted rate right now of 33% off as we're moving into a new season. We have some great surprises coming up for the new year as well that we're working on right now. And we're excited about all of that. So we thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we will catch you on the next episode.